Thanks, Deb. Morning, everyone. Hey, would you guys pray with me as we begin? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning in the name of Jesus, in the name of the one that has set us free, the one who gave his life for mine. Father, this morning as we hear your words, may we sit and be still and and understand deeply in our hearts what it is that you have done for us, the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, how remarkable that is to say when we stop and we think, Father, give us pause this morning that we can hear your words and those words would penetrate deeply within our hearts and they would change us and they would shape us into your disciples that would go into this world offering that forgiveness to those around us. Father, we ask you this morning, by the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Uh, As Erica said, we're in this series, The Red Letter Challenge, and we've been looking at the red letters in the Bible, you know, editors, those that publish Bibles have taken liberty to take the words that Jesus has spoken that are recorded in the Bible and colored those letters red to signify those were words spoken by Jesus. And so we've been looking at those letters and we, to do that, we've been looking at five words. Last week we looked at being, today we're going to be looking at forgiving. But Jesus tells us something at the beginning of this series and really toward the beginning of his teaching that we need to adhere to, which is the reason why we're doing this series. It's not just to learn the words of Jesus. It's not just to memorize them. It's not just to study them, to get deeper understanding, but actually to do what Jesus taught to do. He says at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, you would be wise to listen to my words Not only listen to them, but actually put them into practice in your life. Actually do what it is I'm telling you to do. That would be the wise thing. And so we've said that is what we want to be, is wise. We want to follow after Jesus. We want to do what Jesus said to do, not just be able to tell people what Jesus said. So we're looking at these five words. Again, today we're looking at this word of forgiving what it means to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Sometimes it's awkward, but oftentimes pleasing to hear the words from somebody else, I forgive you. But it can be a challenge to say those words and actually mean them from our heart. So this morning we want to turn to Jesus' words to see what he taught because we live in a culture, in a world that's divided. And it seems like just more so every day. There are divisions of all kinds in our country. We see divisions within the church, not just within the universal church. There are thousands of those. But within individual congregations, we see divisions, people who are angry at one another. And rather than follow Jesus' teaching earlier in this chapter and actually resolving that tension, we continue to hold on to it and we continue to live a life of unforgiveness and we continue to divide believing ourselves righteous in doing so you might come to find this a surprise but we're divided politically in this country we can't seem to agree with one another politically and it just seems to be getting wider not to mention when it comes to sports 
right? I'll never set foot in that, that stadium on the north side, or I'll never set foot in that stadium on the south side. And it just goes on and on and on. And the rhetoric gets heated and, and more hateful, and the divide keeps growing, and it doesn't matter what you see. There's always a point and a counterpoint. There's always difference of opinion. And it seems that it's there to generate revenue, to generate interest, to just keep us divided. But I would say the thing that we need as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're ever to hope to see these divides healed, we need to embrace forgiveness. Forgiveness is the antidote, the only antidote to heal the divide. Forgiveness. It's simple, but it's not easy to do. Because we live in a culture that's so anti-forgiveness. We want to avenge ourselves or others. We want to avenge it. But Jesus says to his disciples, you're focused on the wrong thing. So today we want to turn to Jesus' teachings as found in Matthew 18. You heard it read just a few minutes ago. Where one of his disciples, Peter, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, to understand what's happening here, you need to understand the times. And to give us some context, you look and see at the time that Peter, in that first century, there was this rabbinical teaching that said you should forgive someone three times. Third time, done. First time, you forgive them. Second time, you forgive them, and, and you sort of like let them know that this, this is coming to the end. And then when they wrong you a third time, done. That's it. Three strikes, you're out. Peter would know that, but Peter also knows Jesus, right? And he knows that's probably not a good answer. So Peter's probably figuring in his head, you know, Jesus, three times, so maybe if I take another three and add one, seven times. And part, Peter's probably sitting there going, he's waiting, maybe kind of anticipating Jesus going, well done, Peter. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus turns to him and says, no, not seven times, 77 times. And Peter probably is like, oh, great, right? And then the other disciples are probably like, you had to ask him, right? Now it's like 78 times. But see, what Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, pull out your ledger, start a list, start counting. There's something more going on, as there always is with Jesus. You see, maybe something else is going on here. And when you look at these two numbers, 7 and 77, and you do a little study, you find that these two numbers show up again, show up before in, in an earlier story in Genesis. It's a story about a man named Lamech. Lamech was a descendant of Cain. If you remember Cain from the Genesis, Cain was a son of Adam and Eve, and he murdered his brother Abel. Well, Lamech is a descendant of Cain. And in Genesis chapter 4, this is what we read about Lamech. It says, he said to his wives, Lamech did, Adon Zillah, listen to me, wise of Lamech, talking about himself in the third person. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Remember when God cast Cain out, he was worried that somebody would kill him, and God said, no, I'll put a mark on you, and nobody should harm Cain. If anybody harms Cain, God, I will avenge Cain seven times over. And Lamech says, I'm more important than Cain. 
If somebody harms me, I'll harm them 77 times. Lamech says, I'm more important than Cain, and I'm more vengeful than God. Makes that warning. So what's Jesus getting at? I think he's telling Peter and his disciples, you're focused on the wrong things. You're wondering, when can I seek vengeance? Right? When can I pay back the person that wronged me? And he's saying, you get it, you're getting it wrong. You're acting like Lamech. No, you need to be focused on forgiveness, Peter. You need to forgive your brother 77 times. You need to be seeking how often, how much can I forgive him? You're focused on the wrong thing. And to cement that, he tells them this parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, to understand the weight of that debt, you need to understand what a talent is. So I had to do some research and find out what a talent is. A talent was a weight. It could be saw as a weight amount, a certain amount of weight. Also, a talent was a gold value, something in the value of gold. And so one talent is equal to 130 pounds of gold. Not insignificant, especially take it in today's terms. 130 pounds of gold, a little over $3 million. Now multiply that times 10,000. You have a debt almost $31 billion. Not insignificant, even by today's terms. But what Jesus is saying isn't do the math. Jesus is saying to Peter and the disciples and to us, this man owed a debt so great he could have never repaid it. Especially when you consider in those times, one talent was equal to 20 years of wages. That's over 200,000 years of work. No way this man repays this debt. Absolutely no way. It's too big. And so Jesus goes on to say, since he could not pay it, and his disciples are going, yeah, well, no kidding, he couldn't repay it. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. And they would have thought, well, absolutely. If you incur a debt that size, you deserve to be put into slavery. You deserve to be punished. But the thing about a debt that size, it wouldn't have ended with them. All of their descendants would have been put into slavery. The debt was that big. And so this would have come to no surprise to the disciples and everybody listening. So what happens? The only thing the man can do is to throw himself down at the foot of the king and say, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything back. Really? You really believe you could pay me back if I have patience with you? The disciples had to be thinking, there's no way. So what does the king do? The master has compassion on him. He has pity on him, canceled the debt, and set him free. And they had to have just, like, their mouths had to open in amazement that this would have happened. He didn't reduce the debt. 
He didn't say, okay, I'll make it a thousand talents. No, he just wiped it clean. Why? He had compassion on him. That's where it begins. We see three things in this story. The master's reply, how we as followers of Jesus Christ, how Jesus intended his disciples to live life of forgiveness by taking example from this king. And so we see the master, what does he do? He has compassion upon the servant. That's where it begins. Then he forgives the debt. And he doesn't hold on to it. He just lets him go. He has compassion, forgives the whole debt, doesn't make it less, and lets it go. And Jesus is saying to us and to Peter, that is how you need to live your life. That is how you need to treat your brother when he sins against you. Have compassion on him. Forgive him and let it go. Not so easy, is it? See, when we think about that word compassion today, that word can kind of seem a little soft, right? It, it, it comes with just this like mushy kind of feelings inside of us. But really that word there in the original language means something more. This word there in the original language, anybody want to take a crack at that? What? No? Splachnizomai, right? That's like one of those fun words that Elf would have loved to have like said, ooh, splachnizomai. That's a fun word. But that word really means to do with the gut. That your guts, your insides are moved. That there's something going on inside. It's not just an intellectual ascent. It's something that moves you internally. It's something that changes you And the best way, I think, to, to transpose that word today, what it means today would be this word in the English language, empathy. You would know, you would be moved to know what it's like to walk in their shoes. If you could, for a moment, put yourself in their place, what they've experienced, what they've gone through, you yourself would be moved and have compassion upon them. That's exactly what happened. The king had compassion upon them. He saw him as a human, and he took compassion upon him. See, what happens is when someone wrongs us, we focus on the wrong, and that's how we see our fellow man, as what they've done to us, and that's all we can see. We can't seem to let it go. We can never seem to have empathy. And a professor at Yale, Miroslav Volf, says this. He says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. He's saying we flounder in forgiveness because we can't see the one who sinned against us. We can't see them as human. We see them as subhuman. And at the same time, we exclude ourselves from that community of sinners. We, don't think, we think ourselves without sin. Right? There's no way I would have done something like that. There's no way I would have been looking at my cell phone at a stoplight, holding everybody behind me prisoner. There's no way I'd do anything like that. And there's no way I'd cut somebody off. There's no way I would do that. You know how long it took me to find a picture of somebody pointing that finger? <laughs> I 
because we don't think we would ever do anything like that. We think we're superhuman. We've excluded ourselves from the human race. And what we see is to have empathy is to see the person that sins against us as human, just like we are. And to see them and ourselves as sinners. We together are sinners. There is no difference. That's what it means to have empathy is to see the person who harmed you just as they are, a flawed, sinful human being, just like me. That's why we have in Jesus. We have a high priest who is empathetic with us because he became one of us. He became human by his choice and was ridiculed and spit upon and murdered on a cross but yet said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had empathy when he could have exacted vengeance. The only human being without sin who had every right to exact vengeance upon upon everyone chose to forgive everyone because he knew what it was like to be human. He knew the shame and the guilt that you and I feel over sin. He knew the weight of sin because he bore our sin. He bore our shame. He bore our guilt on the cross. And he loved us so much that he didn't want us to experience that. He wanted us to experience forgiveness. And that's what... Jesus is saying in this parable is that we need, if we're going to begin to forgive our brother and sister, we need to walk in their shoes. We need to understand they're human just like we are. We need to have compassion. Forgiveness always begins with compassion, empathy for our brother and sister. Out of that compassion, out of that empathy, we see flows forgiveness. The master forgives the debt. Now, the thing about the forgiving the debt we need to understand is that forgiveness has a cost. It's not, a, it's not denying the guilt. It's not denying the sin. The man had an enormous debt that he could not pay. That was real. You and I have a debt that we cannot pay. That is real. When someone sins against you, when someone harms you, that harm is real. And to forgive that, there's a cost. The cost is giving up your right to vengeance, giving up your right to avenge. There's a cost to forgiveness, and it's real. The cost for God was his son. To forgive you and I, it cost Jesus his life. We were bought with a price. The debt that we could never paid off, regardless of the patience of God. There's not enough time. It was too immense. It required the death of Jesus Christ. God didn't exact vengeance. He forgave the debt. Your sin was sin. Your sin caused the death of Jesus Christ. 
It's no small thing. But God forgave it. God wiped it away. It exists no more. And if we're to live lives of forgiveness, lives like Jesus, we need to walk with empathy and we need to forgive the debt, understanding there's a cost. We've been harmed. But just like Jesus, we can let it go. And that's the third thing you see the master doing, letting him go, releasing him. So many times, we don't let it go. We say up here, I know what I should do, so I'm going to say I forgive you. But here in my heart, I don't let it go. I can't let it go. And what we find is when we can't let it go, we make ourselves prisoners of a prison of our own making. Think of someone that you know. Think of someone that you know that can't forgive. Would you describe them, describe them as joyful, as happy, or deeply burdened? That bitterness within them, is it making anything better? No, it's not. What it's doing is it's eating you up from the inside. It's consuming you. You can't let it go. And as a result, you remain a prisoner of your own making. You have to let it go. If we're going to live lives of forgiveness, offering, seeking forgiveness, not vengeance, we've got to let it go. Just as the king let it go in the parable. Now, I know just odds are this morning some of you are holding on to some things and you're saying, oh, this is great and it's church and I know you get paid to say those things. But you don't know how my wife betrayed me. You don't know what my husband has done. You don't know my daughter, my son. You don't know my boss. You don't know my neighbor. You don't know my church. You don't know how they've harmed me. And they need to know what they've done to me. I'd just like to remind you this morning, the story doesn't end here. Because we see after the man has been forgiven, he goes out and he finds his fellow servant, someone who owns him money, someone who owns him a pittance, a hundred pieces of silver, a pittance. And he goes to the servant and he grabs him around the neck and he's like, pay me what you owe me. Pay me what you owe me. You know you owe me this money, and I can throw you into prison. Pay me. And the man, the servant, turns to him and says, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. The same words he himself had just said to the king. And the servant, we're told, said, he refused. He was more like Lamech thought himself more important than the king. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison. He couldn't pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and they told the master. They went and they told the king, and the king called the wicked servant in. And he's like, what are you doing, you wicked servant? After I've paid off all that debt that you owed me, and you refuse your fellow servant who owed you so little? 
Should you not have shown him mercy as I shown you mercy? Jesus goes on to say, said then in anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. He would be in prison the rest of his life because he could have never paid it all back. See, when you continue to hold on to it, thinking you're better than the king, you're more honorable than the king, what you'll find yourself is in prison forever. Holding on to your anger, seeking vengeance, thinking that that will make you whole. That will make everything right. When all it does is increase the divide. If we want to heal the division in our land and in our relationships, we need to live lives of forgiveness. We need to live lives like Jesus, having empathy for our brother or sister, forgiving the debt, recognizing there's a cost to that. But that's what Jesus did. And then letting it go. If we can't understand what Jesus has done for us, we'll never live a life of forgiveness. We have to endeavor to sit at his feet and and be reminded daily of who we are and how much it costs God for my life. My life demanded the life of Jesus. My sin demanded Jesus' death. And rather than exact vengeance upon me, God forgave me. And as a result, everything changes. I know some of you have experienced that in your lives. You've come to understand the forgiveness that Jesus has offered you and that you live in and you've experienced it and you yourselves have offered that same forgiveness to others and you've let it go. And you've seen in them uh, uh, just a face that just doesn't understand why you would do that and a relief. And just for a little bit, you get to experience what it is to be a person of forgiveness. You get to see everything change as you learn to have empathy, to see yourself as you truly are a sinner, just like your brother and sister, capable of the very same thing and oftentimes worse. But that Jesus canceled your debt completely and set you free. And he offers you the opportunity to do the same thing, to help heal the divide, to live a life of forgiveness. You see, when we prefer to, we prefer to wait until we feel like forgiving. But if we do that, then our lives are dictated by our feelings. At the fire department, we work 24-hour shifts. And that particular day, we didn't get hardly any sleep. It was literally like three or four seconds to nod off and to cross the center line and, and to meet the other car. To forgive us, we don't think it's fair. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. I'm supposed to be a helper, the EMT and the paramedic and the fireman that, that helps in these tragic situations, and here I am, calls this. See, forgiveness makes us victorious. Two men of service, one a pastor, the other a rookie firefighter, forever bound in tragedy. For them, it's hard to believe over a decade has passed. 
I can still see it. I can still smell it, the horrendous noise and the glass breaking. When the grief counselor approached in the hospital, Eric Fitzgerald knew his wife, June, was gone, leaving their 19-month-old daughter, Faith, without a mom. Faith's just sitting there playing on the little hospital bed with the, the nurse, and of course she sees me and just reaches out. I don't know what she understood, really, but she called into my lap, and she just went to sleep. And I was thankful, because uh, I didn't have to pretend that everything was okay. <clears throat> and I was at the hospital, and a police officer came in, and he said, uh, I don't know if anyone's told you, but June didn't make it. And then he also told me, he said, and by the way, she was seven months pregnant. And the baby didn't make it either. Eric, you had the opportunity to really say to the judge, you know what, I think this guy deserves some hard time. What did you do? I remember uh, somebody said this in a, in a sermon. In moments where um, tragedy happens or, or even hurt, that there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or to exact vengeance. And I chose to demonstrate grace. The men knew of each other, but endured their grief apart until the two-year anniversary of June's death. Matt Swatzel had stopped by the grocery store to buy a condolence card for Eric when he spotted him in the parking lot. Eric starts walking out of the grocery store. He starts walking towards my truck. What do you see in the window? He was just, just bawling. Yeah. And um, so I just walked up and I just hugged him. Um, I mean, it, you know, what do you say? You know, something, sometimes things are best said with no words. That hug must have felt like someone had just put a pin in two years of pressure. That was the, uh, the biggest relief I'd ever felt. He just said from the start that he forgave me. And uh, just hearing him say those words, um, it just impacted my, my life completely. I can't say, this is a beautiful story and it's got a great ending. It doesn't. It's nasty, it's real, and it's something that I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. Both men view their friendship as a sign from above. Another sign? Years later, Eric remarried and was expecting a child. The baby was born on the same due date as the son he'd lost. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. Eric practices what he preaches and raised his daughter, Faith, to choose love over anger. So next year, that means you're going to play varsity. Most likely. Yeah. Maybe because like, I usually just say my mom got in a car accident. I just don't want people to think that Matthew's a bad person because he isn't. He just made a mistake. I just want her to know that she's loved. She's not alone. Dang it. <laughs> Throughout her whole life, I'll be there for her, no matter what. So just seeing Faith, you know, holding my kids, it puts a smile on my face. It hurts, but it's the cards that we were dealt, and, and now it's our story together. It reminds me that there's grace, and there's hope, and there's good. June's in heaven, you know, and one day, 
you know, we'll get to all kind of hang out. And so, you know, God's a big God, and uh, I think that's going to be a great day one day.